Between the Second and Third Scenes, Part One of No Name. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Lee Paquette. No Name by Wilkie Collins. Between the Second and Third Scenes, Part One. Chronicle of Events Preserved in Captain Wragge's Dispatch Box. One. Chronicle for October, 1846. I have retired into the bosom of my family. We are residing in the secluded village of Ruswarp, on the banks of the Esk, about two miles inland from Whitby. Our lodgings are comfortable, and we possess the additional blessing of a tidy landlady. Mrs. Wragge and Miss Vanstone preceded me here, in accordance with the plan I laid down for effecting our retreat from York. On the next day I followed them alone with the luggage. On leaving the terminus, I had the satisfaction of seeing the lawyer's clerk in close confabulation with the detective officer whose advent I had prophesied. I left him in peaceable possession of the city of York and the whole surrounding neighborhood. He has returned the compliment, and has left us in peaceable possession of the valley of the Esk, thirty miles away from him. Remarkable results have followed my first efforts at the cultivation of Miss Vanstone's dramatic abilities. I have discovered that she possesses extraordinary talent as a mimic. She has the flexible face, the manageable voice, and the dramatic knack which fit a woman for character parts and disguises on the stage. All she now wants is teaching and practice to make her sure of her own resources. The experience of her, thus gained, has revived an idea in my mind, which originally occurred to me at one of the at-homes of the late inimitable Charles Matthews comedian. I was in the wine trade at the time, I remember. We imitated the vintage processes of nature in a back kitchen at Brompton, and produced a dinner sherry, pale and curious, tonic in character, round in the mouth, a favorite with the court of Spain, at nineteen and sixpence a dozen, bottles included, vide prospectus of the period. The profits of myself and partners were small. We were in advance of the taste of the age, and in debt to the bottle merchant. Being at my wit's end for want of money, and seeing what audiences Matthews drew, the idea occurred to me of starting an imitation of the great imitator himself, in the shape of an at-home given by a woman. The one trifling obstacle in the way was the difficulty of finding the woman. From that time to this I have hitherto failed to overcome it. I have conquered it at last. I have found the woman now. Miss Vanstone possesses youth and beauty as well as talent. Train her in the art of dramatic disguise. Provide her with appropriate dresses for different characters. Develop her accomplishments in singing and playing. Give her plenty of smart talk addressed to the audience. Advertise her as a young lady at home. Astonish the public by a dramatic entertainment which depends from first to last on that young lady's own sole exertions. Commit the entire management of the thing to my care, and what follows as a necessary consequence? 
fame for my fair relative, and a fortune for myself. I put these considerations, as frankly as usual, to Miss Vanstone, offering to write the entertainment, to manage all the business, and to share the profits. I did not forget to strengthen my case by informing her of the jealousies she would encounter and the obstacles she would meet if she went on the stage, and I wound up by a neat reference to the private inquiries which she is interested in making, and to the personal independence which she is desirous of securing before she acts on her information. "'If you go on the stage,' I said, "'your services will be bought by a manager.' and he may insist on his claims just at the time when you want to get free from him. If, on the contrary, you adopt my views, you will be your own mistress and your own manager, and you can settle your course just as you like. This last consideration appeared to strike her. She took a day to consider it, and when the day was over, gave her consent. I had the whole transaction down in black and white immediately, our arrangement is eminently satisfactory, except in one particular. She shows a morbid distrust of writing her name at the bottom of any document which I present to her, and roundly declares she will sign nothing. As long as it is her interest to provide herself with pecuniary resources for the future, she verbally engages to go on. When it ceases to be her interest, she plainly threatens to leave off at a week's notice, a difficult girl to deal with. She has found out her own value to me already. One comfort is, I have the cooking of the accounts, and my fair relative shall not fill her pockets too suddenly if I can help it. My exertions in training Miss Vanstone for the coming experiment have been varied by the writing of two anonymous letters in that young lady's interests. Finding her too fidgety about arranging matters with her friends to pay proper attention to my instructions, I wrote anonymously to the lawyer who is conducting the inquiry after her, recommending him in a friendly way to give it up. The letter was enclosed to a friend of mine in London, with instructions to post it at Charing Cross. A week later I sent a second letter, through the same channel, requesting the lawyer to inform me in writing whether he and his clients had or had not decided on taking my advice. I directed him, with jocose reference to the collision of interest between us, to address his letter, Tit for Tat, Post Office, West Strand. In a few days the answer arrived, privately forwarded, of course, to Post Office Whitby, by arrangement with my friend in London. The lawyer's reply was short and surly. Sir, if my advice had been followed, you and your anonymous letter would both be treated with the contempt which they deserve. But the wishes of Miss Magdalen Vanstone's eldest sister have claims on my consideration which I cannot dispute, and at her entreaty I inform you that all further proceedings on my part are withdrawn, on the express understanding that this concession is to open facilities for written communication at least between the two sisters. A letter from the elder Miss Vanstone is enclosed in this. If I don't hear in a week's time that it has been received, I shall place the matter once more in the hands of the police. William Pendrell. A sour man, this William Pendrell. I can only say of him what an eminent nobleman once said of his sulky servant. 
I wouldn't have such a temper as that fellow has got for any earthly consideration that could be offered me. As a matter of course, I looked into the letter which the lawyer enclosed before delivering it. Miss Vanstone, the elder, described herself as distracted at not hearing from her sister, as suited with a governess's situation in a private family, as going into the situation in a week's time, and as longing for a letter to comfort her before she faced the trial of undertaking her new duties. After closing the envelope again, I accompanied the delivery of the letter to Miss Vanstone the younger by a word of caution. "'Are you more sure of your own courage now?' I said. "'Than you were when I met you?' She was ready with her answer. "'Captain Wragge, when you met me on the walls of York, I had not gone too far to go back. I have gone too far now.' "'If she really feels this—and I think she does— her corresponding with her sister can do no harm. She wrote at great length the same day, cried profusely over her own epistolary composition, and was remarkably ill-tempered and snappish toward me when we met in the evening. She wants experience, poor girl. She sadly wants experience of the world. How consoling to know that I am just the man to give it her. 2. Chronicle for November we are established at Derby, the entertainment is written, and the rehearsals are in steady progress. All difficulties are provided for, but the one eternal difficulty of money. Miss Vanstone's resources stretch easily enough to the limits of our personal wants, including pianoforte hire for practice, and the purchase and making of the necessary dresses. But the expenses of starting the entertainment are beyond the reach of any means we possess. A theatrical friend of mine here, whom I had hoped to interest in our undertaking, proves, unhappily, to be at a crisis in his career. The field of human sympathy, out of which I might have raised the needful pecuniary crop, is closed to me from want of time to cultivate it. I see no other resource left, if we are to be ready by Christmas, than to try one of the local music sellers in this town who is said to be a speculating man. A private rehearsal at these lodgings, and a bargain which will fill the pockets of a grasping stranger, such are the sacrifices which dire necessity imposes on me at starting. Well, there is only one consolation. I'll cheat the music-seller. 3. Chronicle for December, First Fortnight the music-seller extorts my unwilling respect. He is one of the very few human beings I have met with in the course of my life who is not to be cheated. He has taken a masterly advantage of our helplessness, and has imposed terms on us, for performances at Derby and Nottingham, with such a business-like disregard of all interest but his own that, fond as I am of putting things down in black and white, I really cannot prevail upon myself to record the bargain. It is needless to say, I have yielded with my best grace, sharing with my fair relative the wretched pecuniary prospects offered to us. Our turn will come. In the meantime, I cordially regret not having known the local music-seller in early life. Personally speaking, I have no cause to complain of Miss Vanstone. 
we have arranged that she shall regularly forward her address at the post-office to her friends as we move about from place to place besides communicating in this way with her sister she also reports herself to a certain mr clare residing in somersetshire who is to forward all letters exchanged between herself and his son careful inquiry has informed me that this latter individual is now in china having suspected from the first that there was a gentleman in the background it is highly satisfactory to know that he recedes into the remote perspective of asia long may he remain there the trifling responsibility of finding a name for our talented magdalen to perform under has been cast on my shoulders she feels no interest whatever in this part of the subject give me any name you like she said i have as much right to one as to another make it yourself i have readily consented to gratify her wishes the resources of my commercial library include a list of useful names to assume and we can choose one at five minutes notice when the admirable man of business who now oppresses us is ready to issue his advertisements on this point my mind is easy enough all my anxieties centre in the fair performer i have not the least doubt she will do wonders if she is only left to herself on the first night but if the day's post is mischievous enough to upset her by a letter from her sister i tremble for the consequences four chronicle for december second fortnight my gifted relative has made her first appearance in public and has laid the foundation of our future fortunes on the first night the attendance was larger than i had ventured to hope the novelty of an evening's entertainment conducted from beginning to end by the unaided exertions of a young lady see advertisement roused the public curiosity and the seats were moderately well filled as good luck would have it no letter addressed to miss vanstone came that day she was in full possession of herself until she got the first dress on and heard the bell ring for the music at that critical moment she suddenly broke down i found her alone in the waiting-room sobbing and talking like a child oh poor papa poor papa oh my god if he saw me now my experience in such matters at once informed me that it was a case of sal volatile accompanied by sound advice we strung her up in no time to concert pitch set her eyes in a blaze and made her outblush her own rouge the curtain rose when we had got her at a red heat she dashed at it exactly as she dashed at it in the back drawing-room at rosemary lane her personal appearance settled the question of her reception before she opened her lips she rushed full gallop through her changes of character her songs and her dialogue making mistakes by the dozen and never stopping to set them right carrying the people along with her in a perfect whirlwind and never waiting for the applause the whole thing was over twenty minutes sooner than the time we had calculated on she carried it through to the end and fainted on the waiting-room sofa a minute after the curtain was down the music-seller having taken leave of his senses from sheer astonishment and i having no evening costume to appear in we sent the doctor to make the necessary apology to the public 
who were calling for her till the place rang again. I prompted our medical orator with a neat speech from behind the curtain, and I never heard such applause from such a comparatively small audience before in my life. I felt the tribute. I felt it deeply. Fourteen years ago I scraped together the wretched means of existence in this very town by reading the newspaper with explanatory comments to the company at a public house, and now here I am at the top of the tree. It is needless to say that my first proceeding was to bowl out the music seller on the spot. He called the next morning, no doubt with a liberal proposal for extending the engagement beyond Derby and Nottingham. My niece was described as not well enough to see him, and when he asked for me, he was told I was not up. I happened to be at that moment engaged in putting the case pathetically to our gifted Magdalen. Her answer was in the highest degree satisfactory. She would permanently engage herself to nobody, least of all to a man who had taken sordid advantage of her position and mine. She would be her own mistress and share the profits with me while she wanted money and while it suited her to go on. So far so good. But the reason she added next, for her flattering preference of myself, was less to my taste. "'The music-seller is not the man whom I employ to make my inquiries,' she said. "'You are the man.' I don't like her steadily remembering those inquiries in the first bewilderment of her success. It looks ill for the future. It looks infernally ill for the future.' Five. Chronicle for January 1847 She has shown the cloven foot already. I begin to be a little afraid of her. On the conclusion of the Nottingham engagement, the results of which more than equaled the results at Derby, I proposed taking the entertainment next, now we had got it into our own hands, to Newark. Miss Vanstone raised no objection until we came to the question of time, when she amazed me by stipulating for a week's delay before we appeared in public again. For what possible purpose, I asked? For the purpose of making the inquiries which I mentioned to you at York, she answered. I instantly enlarged on the danger of delay, putting all the considerations before her in every imaginable form. She remained perfectly immovable. I tried to shake her on the question of expenses. She answered by handing me over her share of the proceeds at Derby and Nottingham, and there were my expenses paid, at the rate of nearly two guineas a day. I wonder who first picked out a mule as the type of obstinacy. How little knowledge that man must have had of women! There was no help for it. I took down my instructions in black and white as usual. My first exertions were to be directed to the discovery of Mr. Michael Vanstone's address. I was also expected to find out how long he was likely to live there, and whether he had sold Coombe Raven or not. My next inquiries were to inform me of his ordinary habits of life, of what he did with his money, of who his intimate friends were and of the sort of terms on which his son, Mr. Noel Vanstone, was now living with him. Lastly, the investigations were to end in discovering whether there was any female relative, 
or any woman exercising domestic authority in the house who was known to have an influence over either father or son if my long practice in cultivating the field of human sympathy had not accustomed me to private investigations into the affairs of other people i might have found some of these queries rather difficult to deal with in the course of a week as it was i gave myself all the benefit of my own experience and brought the answers back to nottingham in a day less than the given time here they are in regular order for convenience of future reference one mr michael vanstone is now residing at german place brighton and likely to remain there as he finds the air suits him he reached london from switzerland in september last and sold the Coombe Raven property immediately on his arrival. 2. His ordinary habits of life are secret and retired. He seldom visits or receives company. Part of his money is supposed to be in the funds, and part laid out in railway investments, which have survived the panic of 1846, and are rapidly rising in value. He is said to be a bold speculator. Since his arrival in England, he has invested, with great judgment, in house property. He has some houses in remote parts of London, and some houses in certain watering places on the east coast, which are shown to be advancing in public repute. In all these cases he is reported to have made remarkably good bargains. 3. It is not easy to discover who his intimate friends are. Two names only have been ascertained. The first is Admiral Bartram, supposed to have been under friendly obligations in past years to Mr. Michael Vanstone. The second is Mr. George Bartram, nephew of the Admiral, and now staying on a short visit in the house at German Place. Mr. George Bartram is the son of the late Mr. Andrew Vanstone's sister, also deceased. He is therefore a cousin of Mr. Noel Vanstone's. This last, viz. Mr. Noel Vanstone is in delicate health and is living on excellent terms with his father in german place four there is no female relative in mr michael vanstone's family circle but there is a housekeeper who has lived in his service ever since his wife's death and who has acquired a strong influence over both father and son she is a native of switzerland elderly and a widow her name is mrs lecount on placing these particulars in Miss Vanstone's hands, she made no remark except to thank me. I endeavored to invite her confidence. No results, nothing but a renewal of civility and a sudden shifting to the subject of the entertainment. Very good. If she won't give me the information I want, the conclusion is obvious. I must help myself. Business considerations claim the remainder of this page. Let me return to business. Financial statement, third week in January. Place visited, Newark. Performances, two. Net receipts, in black and white, twenty-five pounds. Net receipts, actually realized, thirty-two pounds, ten shillings. Apparent division of profits, Miss V, twelve pounds, ten shillings. Self, twelve pounds, ten shillings. Actual division of profits, Miss V, twelve pounds, ten shillings, self, twenty pounds, no shillings. Private surplus on the week, 
or safe self-presented testimonial seven pounds ten shillings audited h rag past correct h rag the next stronghold of british sympathy which we take by storm is sheffield we open the first week in february six chronicle for february practice is now given my fair relative the confidence which i predicted would come with time her knack of disguising her own identity in the impersonation of different characters so completely staggers her audiences that the same people come twice over to find out how she does it it is the amiable defect of the english public never to know when they have had enough of a good thing they actually try to encore one of her characters an old north country lady modelled on that honoured preceptress in the late mr vanstone's family to whom i presented myself at Coombe raven this particular performance fairly amazes the people i don't wonder at it such an extraordinary assumption of age by a girl of nineteen has never been seen in public before in the whole course of my theatrical experience i find myself writing in a lower tone than usual i miss my own dash of humour the fact is i am depressed about the future in the very height of our prosperity my perverse pupil sticks to her trumpery family quarrel i feel myself at the mercy of the first whim in the vanstone direction which may come into her head i the architect of her fortunes too bad upon my soul too bad she has acted already on the inquiries which she forced me to make for her she has written two letters to mr michael vanstone to the first letter no answer came to the second a reply was received her infernal cleverness put an obstacle i had not expected in the way of my intercepting it later in the day after she had herself opened and read the answer I laid another trap for her. It just succeeded, and no more. I had half a minute to look into the envelope in her absence. It contained nothing but her own letter returned. She is not the girl to put up quietly with such an insult as this. Mischief will come of it. Mischief to Michael Vanstone, which is of no earthly consequence. Mischief to me, which is a truly serious matter. 7. Chronicle for March After performing at Sheffield and Manchester, we have moved to Liverpool, Preston, and Lancaster. Another change in this weathercock of a girl. She has written no more letters to Michael Vanstone, and she has become as anxious to make money as I am myself. We are realizing large profits, and we are worked to death. I don't like this change in her she has a purpose to answer or she would not show such extraordinary eagerness to fill her purse nothing i can do no cooking of accounts no self-presented testimonials can keep that purse empty the success of the entertainment and her own sharpness in looking after her interests literally force me into a course of comparative honesty she puts into her pocket more than a third of the profits in defiance of my most arduous exertions to prevent her and this at my age this after my long and successful career as a moral agriculturalist 
marks of admiration are very little things, but they express my feelings, and I put them in freely. End of Between the Second and Third Scenes, Part 1 Recording by Linda Lee Paquette